Welcome back to the Science of Sports Recovery podcast. And a quick note about this episode, before I introduce you to the guest, I want to tell you that there is so much value in this particular episode that it is very important that you share it with somebody. So take a listen, and I don't even care if you don't subscribe or if you don't leave a review uh, or, or what have you. I just need this message to get out to the masses because it can literally make or break somebody's athletic career. I mean, we talk about what many people get wrong with icing that is literally making them injured longer and and not improve. So share this, share this, share this. Okay, now that my rant is over, let's introduce our guest. As you'll quickly learn in this conversation, Gary Reinel is very passionate about the recovery industry, especially when it comes to practices that don't make sense. Gary was one of the first people to really blow the whistle on the RICE protocol and has now worked with over 100 professional teams over the last 20 years to facilitate proper recovery and has had astonishing results with them. Not only has he helped athletes get back to playing quicker, his athletes actually see less strength and speed loss during their recovery period. So how does he do this, you ask? Well, I can tell you this. It's not by icing. He is the author of the book, Iced, The Illusionary Treatment Option, a book, by the way, which is very well written and I highly recommend. But he has spent nearly 40 years in the sports medicine field and Gary is here to continue to educate on the proper scientifically proven way to heal from injuries and workouts. So with no further ado, let's get into it. You're listening to the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. Each week, we explore how to recover more efficiently from training so you can work out harder and realize your full potential. This is the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. Hey, Gary, it's great to have you on the show. I love being here, Josh. Thank you very much, Chase. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, we've already done an introduction on you, and I've read your book. I recommend other anybody listening to read your book because you're a wonderful storyteller. There's a lot of stories that are weaving into um, really practical use of um, injury like recovery, um, but there's two that really stick out to me that I want you to cover. Um, because I think it gives us a good overview of who Gary is, not necessarily from a um, you know intellectual um, capacity, but more as a as a person, as a personality. So <laughs> you've always kind of been a little um, bullheaded, it seems, or you testing the boundaries from a young age with a combination of your quick mouth and and pride getting you to run. <laughs> Um, a 63 miles uh, and, and one bout in high school. How how did that come about? <laughs> oh, I actually love that story. It's one of the first. It's one of the first stories in my book. And uh, you're right. It, it it really was a reflection of who I am. Um, a couple of my buddies had ridden their bikes. We lived outside of Philadelphia, and they'd ridden their bikes from from where we live to the Jersey Shore, which is a, a beach area. Um, about 60, 70 miles from our house. And they were whining about how hard it was. And it was so, oh, it took forever. And, uh, 
And I walked up and said, I can run it. <laughs> well, that was around 8 a.m. in Center Hall. By noon, it had spread through the school that I was going to run from Philadelphia to Ocean City, New Jersey. Uh, and now what was I going to do? I had to do it. I yeah. could not do it now that I said I could. Of course, I had no idea if I knew how to do it. And by the way, I never even thought about how to do it. That morning, I got up and put on a pair of Converse sneaks and did it. Yeah. And I I am often uh, reminded uh, by people that it's a quite a feat for a you know a high school junior to <laughs> to run that far back in 1971. I mean, you got to kind of run this through. Yeah. There's no such thing then. We ran in Converse sneaks, the flat Converse basketball <laughs> sneaks. No water, no supplies. No travel car on our own. We went for hours and hours and hours with no supplies whatsoever. And we did this in June off the side of the major freeway, <laughs> which was likely approaching 95 to 100 yeah. degrees easily off the side of the road. And we know that because we looked back and we looked it up. But I remember how hot it was. Yeah. And we had no water. You can't do what we did. And people say, that's amazing that you did that. I said, no, actually, it's not amazing that I did it because I trained. I was running about four or five hours a day for about a month and a half before I did it. So I, you know, I made the yeah. claim I was going to do it. And then I did it. But I, it was five or six weeks later that I did it. Yeah. And people said, it's amazing. I said, well, no, I actually trained. I was, you know, <laughs> I was somewhat prepared to do it. Yeah. But the guy that went with me, Bobby Shippeno, I'm far more impressed at Bobby because Bobby was a three varsity letter guy, football, basketball, and baseball. Yeah. And I said, Bobby, are you going to train for this? He goes, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. You know, I, I got, no, nah, I'm in good shape. Bobby never trained and he made it. Yeah. So anybody out there who's saying, wow, you know, you, you did that. Let me tell you. Say, wow, Bobby Shippeno did it because he was way more capable of, a, of, of an all-star uh, yeah. status than I was because he never trained. He yeah. just did it. <laughs> it. Now, I admit, and I think he would too, that I drug him a little bit late in the day. You know, yeah. those last 20 miles or so, I probably had to uh, you know, prop him up a couple of times, say, Bobby, come on, we can make it. But yeah. still, he did. I mean, think about it. He did not prepare and he did it. Yeah. So that's that's the story of how it happened. And uh, when we came back to Center Hall uh, after our run that we did it on a Saturday and we came back to school on Monday and people were like, I can't believe you did it. Well, actually, it was not proven that we did it. But because we ran it along the side of the highway from yeah. Philly to Ocean City, Lots of people saw us. Yeah. So somebody drove by at, you know, 7.30 a.m. and they saw us. Yeah. And then someone came by at 11 o'clock and they saw us. <laughs> so lots of people saw us running. Yeah. And it was also reported on the local radio uh, that we were doing it. Uh, one, of the, one of the guys in our class had called the radio station to tell him. Yeah. And he gave him progress reports. Now, understand the only progress report because there were no cell phones. Yeah. The only progress report was when we stopped at a 
what was called a Wawa store. That's like a 7-Eleven type store. Yeah. And with a couple quarters in the thing, we called the guy and said, hey, we're halfway. That was the progress. <laughs> no phones, no supplies, nobody yeah. helping us on our oh, own. Man. Go do it. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it actually has messed up nearly my whole life, though, because anything that I do that's hard, I compare it to that day. Oh, man. <laughs> and nothing's been hard ever yeah. since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's probably a reflection of the time. But as uh, uh, I'm about to be a parent, so I'm starting to think of like think situations from a parent's view. And I just think of like, how in the world did your parents let you run 63 miles without doing like any sort of giving you water or, or food or anything like that. Well, to be honest, I'm not sure my parents realized what we were doing. Oh. <laughs> so I'm not, I don't recall ever mentioning to them that we were running. <laughs> I remember saying we were going to the shore tomorrow <laughs> But I don't recall ever saying we're running to the shore tomorrow. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, that makes sense. <laughs> so we're not going to blame my parents for this. I may have kind of omitted a little of the information when talking to them about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the the takeaway I want uh, the listeners to get from this story is you're gonna we're gonna talk about how Gary you know basically single handedly took on the rice um, protocol. And it, it takes somebody that like Gary, that's going to do it and, and says he's going to do it and just does it without, you know, really like the fear, the fear. Cause there would, there would be a lot of fear taking on something like that. Um, and it clearly, um, obviously I'm, I'm sure you feel fear, um, but it doesn't seem to be a, a factor for you. Um, well, to, to tell you to tell you the answer to that, because I think it's important to add to your point there. Mm -hmm. It never crossed my mind we weren't going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. I had no fear. Yeah. I mean, I had no fear. I was remember we were so ignorant of the facts. We had no idea how long it was going to take. Sure. We had no plan of how long it was going to take. Yeah. Like I never said, "Oh, I'll do it in this many minutes a mile. We'll be there at this time." No. <laughs> no, our buddy drove us to the bridge and off we went you know that that was it we got out of the car and started running no water no 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 uh power blocks yeah nothing nothing and there was no there wasn't fear because of the gross yeah. ignorance <laughs> it's like that oh was this dangerous i never thought it was dangerous it just seemed like <laughs> They rode a bike. I'll run it. Yeah. You said you were going to do it. You did it. <laughs> so the, the second story, uh, I, I think it would be really impactful, is the story about pull-ups. Um, there was a, a, a pull-up school record. Um, and I can tell by your face, there's still some sort of um, maybe regret or um, disappointment in this story from you. Uh why and tell us like why there's that regret what happened and and what you learned from the experience well this is a turning point in my life when this happened mm -hmm. um and I, I never i never was bluffed again yeah um what happened was uh 
the school pull-up record was 41 Marine pull-ups. So that's dead hang, straight up, no kipping, no jerking. You actually have to do a real pull-up. Chin <laughs> above the top, eyes looking over top of the bar. So you yeah. can't be looking to the ceiling. You got to be looking over the bar. So real pull-ups. And um, I, you know, I was good, but I wasn't great. And it was a long way off the first time I tried. I mean, I didn't do that many the first time, you know, maybe 18 or 20 the first time. And uh, I had gotten to a point where I could do like 27 or 28 or 29 pull-ups. I mean, pretty consistently, I could just hang and do it. So to submit my commitment, I told all the boys, we're standing at where we hung at the high school. Yeah. And I said, uh, it was the summertime getting school was just about to come back in session. And I said, I'm going to break the pull up record this year. And they're like, Oh yeah. How many can you do? I said, well, I don't know, 26, 27, 28, 29, somewhere around there. So one of my buddies said, well, let's see. So we walked back to the chin up bar and I did it. And I did as many as I could. And, uh, in the upper twenties and I got down and they were impressed. You know, that was a lot of chin ups for a high school kid. Yeah. And uh, pull-ups, they were not chin-ups. And uh, with that, the word got around that I was going after the pull-up record. Well, another guy in the class who was much tougher than me, one of the toughest kids in the class. Mm -hmm. Now, arguably, I was one of the stronger people in the class, but I was very small. So for my weight, I was very strong. But, you know, in reality, I was not, I was maybe 140 pounds, five foot seven. So, you know, not much of a threat. But I was strong. And uh, another guy heard about it. He said, well, I'm already doing 40. So, you know, nobody else should even try. I got this locked up. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, that wasn't true. And we were both on the Marine Corps National Physical Fitness Championship team. Mm. Uh, Our high school went to the nationals. And uh, the first time I saw him do pull-ups, I I had pretty much quit. I stopped trying because... What's the point of practicing when someone else is already at 40 and you're in the upper 20s? There's yeah. no way to catch them. Well, to my shock and surprise, the first time he hangs in the bar for the tryouts for the team, he gets like 17 or 16. And I went, what is this? I never saw him get above 20. Yeah. By that point, it was too late for me to break the record, although I immediately started training to break it. And I got the 39. So I missed it by two, tying it, three, breaking it. There's no doubt if I hadn't given away those four or five months, I'd have broke it. Mm -hmm. But I got bluffed. That never happened again. Yeah. So this is such a powerful story because I think this happens more almost probably almost in everybody's life where they say, I'm going to start to do something. And then there's somebody, whether they announce it to somebody or they just see somebody that's in front of them with whatever they want to do. And they're like, oh, they've already done it. And then they stop. Whereas there's so much more that to, that you can give and you don't know where they actually are at. You know, they can say that they're at this level or they make this much money or they run this fast or they can do this many pull-ups but you don't know until you see it and you don't know what their motivation is to continue compared to yours is. Well, mine was a bluff. And when I found out it wasn't true, I on the spot 
commit it. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to break it. Well, I didn't break it. I came really close, but I didn't yeah. break it. Um, but I never forgot that. Mm-hmm. And when someone said, well, you can't do that, it's too hard. I mean, the conversation we're going to have today about taking on the rice protocol and the anti-ice movement. When I first suggested it to um, some of the professional team trainers that I deal with, the first guy said to me, Gary, don't, don't, don't do that. And I said, why? He said, you'll ruin your career. He said, don't, don't mess with that. And I went, well, but I know it's wrong. He said, Gary, don't, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Well, we went back to my pull up days and I went, no, yeah. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And I jokingly said in the early years, I'm old. So it really doesn't matter if I fail. <laughs> Who cares? No one will care. Yeah. So I'm going to go after it. And this time, the pull up story actually proved to be to my advantage because it's what made me go, nope. Nope. You're going. You're doing this. Now yep. go do it. And I did it. Yeah. Yeah. So if, uh, if anybody listening, if they can learn from the pull-up story without having to actually do it themselves, um, learn. So, but this gets us a good segue into the icing conversation. Um, and I, I read your book and it was, it was very eye-opening to me how sometimes cultural norms just take over as science. Um, and there's an overarching acknowledgement that icing is what you do after you sprain an ankle, you, you know, bruise, there's swelling, there's what, whatever you name it, you ice tub after workouts or, or what have you, that's kind of become a cultural thing. But um, it's not necessarily the scientific evidence to back it up. But before we get into the science, you outline kind of why it came into our society. How, like, how did icing become the cultural norm for healing? Well, it's not for healing, but, but I get your point. People yeah. think it is. Yeah. So what happened was the, the whole rice protocol, which is rest, ice, compression, elevation. Yep. Um, there have been reports or there are reports of people using ice for pain control going back many years. Now, the question is, where'd they get the ice from? <laughs> I mean, you can't run this through because nobody at Miami had ice 150 years ago. And there are lots of places in the world where there couldn't have been any ice. So if someone did use ice for pain control, I believe it could have happened and you know, you kind of figure it out. You put, if you happen to be in the snow and you rolled your ankle and you put ice on it, it made it hurt less. And it doesn't mean it helped, yeah. but it made it hurt less. So somewhere along the line, icing damaged tissue was tried. Couldn't have been widespread because there wasn't ice. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's where we start with. But in 1964, 1962, okay. uh, a young boy by the name of Everett Knowles hopped a freight train in Somerville, Massachusetts. And what happened was he cheered for himself in celebration for hopping the freight train. And 
if you ever lived anywhere where there are freight trains that go through, you know that every 12-year-old boy is going to hop a freight train and ride it for at least 50 feet because you got to. Yeah. And when he cheered for himself, he hit a, st <laughs> he hit a stone abutment. And when he hit it, it ripped his arm right off. And didn't break it. It ripped it off. And he fell to the ground. And thinking he had broken his arm, he picked his arm up in his jacket, not knowing it wasn't attached. And he got up to a factory up the top of that hill. And uh, some guys helped him and got him over to Mass General Hospital. And uh, the young doctor there by the name of Ronald Mull made an historic decision, changed the history of medicine, actually. He said, uh, we got a perfectly healthy 12-year-old and a fully intact arm. Let's put this thing back on. Well, a long time ago, that wasn't expected. Mm -hmm. So they had to go assemble the team to do it. There were no fax machines or cell phones or text. You had to go get the doctor. So you had to get an orthopedic surgeon, you had to get a neurologist. You had to go get the people who could do this to put this arm back on. And with that, the doctor made the decision to change the history of sports medicine. He said, put that arm on ice while we're getting this figured out. Now, why would you put the arm on ice? Well, for the same reason that fish in the fish market are on ice. Because yeah. it slows the rotting, the decaying of the tissue. So it made sense for that purpose yep. to put it on ice. And now they get the team together. They sew the arm back on. And the hand starts to turn pink. And they're like, wow, it worked. That makes worldwide news. Then when the little boy wakes up and waves the first time to the media, it makes worldwide news. And in fact, that doctor, Dr. Ronald Malt, began to travel around the world, teaching other doctors what they had done that day to successfully reattach a severed body part. Yeah. Ultimately, the question was asked, and we can't find the original question I tried. Okay. But it did happen. A reporter said, Doc, if this happens, what do we do? What do we need to know? And I understand before you just threw the body part away. So you needed to know what to do. Yeah. So the answer was, remain calm, don't panic. That became rest. Keep the severed body part out of the heat, out of the sun. Keep it cool if you can. That became ice. Use a tourniquet to prevent a bleed out from the intact part. Mm. That became compression. And elevation was simply keeping the body part above the heart to slow down the bleed. So the rest ice compression elevation protocol has utterly, literally nothing to do with managing damaged tissue. Yeah, It has to do with preventing a bleed out and preserving severed body parts. And it says that that couldn't happen. Oh no, that's what happened. Yeah, And that was in 62. And then by 78, when Dr. Merkin, the man who made up the rice protocol in his sports medicine book in 1978, he called it rest ice compression elevation. What he did was actually report it on what was happening in the space, out in the public space. Mm -hmm. And he, I was told recently by a reporter that had talked to him, I've talked to Dr. Merkin multiple times also, been to his home. And Dr. Merkin said that he added the E, the elevation, because Rick didn't have a ring to it. <laughs> and he added the E. And that's it. That's where it came from. Yeah. Now, Dr. Merkin has since admitted that, acknowledged 
in his recanting publicly that I made this up in my 1978 sports medicine book. Research has clearly shown I was wrong. Don't do it. It delays healing and gives a specific reference to the fact that it causes additional damage. Mm -hmm. Dr. Merkin not only has publicly recanted since he read my book, he wrote the foreword to the second edition of my book. Yeah. Yeah, if you didn't catch that, that's like, you could almost stop the conversation here because <laughs> the, the, the guy who says rice protocol first rice protocol, this is what you do to treat injuries then has now publicly rescinded that and wrote the forward to essentially the book that says that is totally not the right way to do it. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That that like that in itself is uh an awesome story um but i want to dive into a little bit more about um the the icing claims and 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 what is actually happening because there's inevitably somebody listening like okay that's a nice story but i've heard icing does this and i i do icing because of you know blank so um i'm gonna run down some claims that icing is supposed to do and and we'll just talk about like what is actually happening there. Okay. So um, icing is supposed to stop the bleeding. So internal bleeding or, or anything like that, um, it's supposed to reduce or, or, or stop the bleeding. What would you say to that? Well, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bleeding stops as a result of the process inside the body that is multiple facets, factor one, factor two, factor three, up to the Wolverine factor, and all these things have to happen (laughs) to produce a clot, that that clot uh, is the result of ingredients that are in the blood that have to get to the damaged site that are signaled to come and transform as a result of any blood leaving the vessel. So as the blood leaves the endothelium, which is the cell line vessel, As it leaves, a signal is set off that changes everything inside the blood, inside the vessels. And so what happens is if you make it cold, you actually slow down the clotting process. You don't speed it up. You slow it down. Mm. And the fact of that is it's indisputable. It's there isn't even a potential to argue it. How could the repair and cleanup crew get to the damaged site if you slow it down? So it doesn't speed up stopping blood. In fact, there's an article in the journal Hemophilia, uh, two articles actually, where they say, look, we looked this up and we've been telling hemophiliacs or people who can't clot or have difficulty clotting uh, that they should ice. But then it actually says in the journal, the journal of hemophilia for heaven's sakes, it says, "Uh, we've been telling people to do this, but it doesn't work. It's not right. It's wrong. (laughs) So see, it's just not true. Yeah. But, but you can make up anything you want, and exactly. it makes sense, sort of, because if you slow down the flow, wouldn't that slow down the bleeding? Yeah. Yeah, but what about the clotting? How does the clotting take place? Well, the factors, the, the, the things in the blood that have to get to the site to grow that clot, you've slowed them down. So mm-hmm. basically what I call this the repair and cleanup crew, you've slowed the repair and cleanup crew. <laughs> the repair and cleanup crew from getting to the damaged site. Yeah. So it, it's it's just one of those 
oh, that seems to make sense. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't make yeah. sense at all. It's wrong. For sure. Yeah. Well, well, we're we're not looking to slow down the the blood. We're looking to clot essentially to stop the bleeding. That's how your body is designed to stop the bleeding, correct? Yeah, it's, it's called hemostasis. And, and you can look it up. You can Google it if you want. Just Google how does the clotting factor work when you, mm -hmm. when you break a vessel. And there's a hundred videos or more online. Every yeah. single one will tell you what I just told you. It's yep. the way it works. You can't, the, the stuff has got to get there. The repair and cleanup crew has got to get to the site to build the clot so yep. the vessel can be repaired. And then remarkably, it prevents the clot from getting too big because then it would block, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to block the, uh, the flow. Yeah. So it makes the clot just the right size, repairs the vessel in three to 10 days or so, yeah. and then dissolves the clot, normalizes flow. And you didn't do anything if you stayed out of the way. Yeah. Now, if you think you're going to be able to uh, stop bleeding by making it cold, see, you're sort of right. You can, but you haven't solved the problem yet. The hole's mm -hmm. still there. Yeah. Yeah. So, that that takes care of that one. Well, we'll move on. Um, and this one might take a little bit more uh, unpacking uh, because there's uh, maybe a, a misconception of what swelling is and what inflammation is. Um, but icing has been told to reduce swelling and inflammation. Um, so what would you say to that? Two entirely different things. Yep. Inflammation is your immune response to the tissue damage. And you can't heal without inflammation. Ledbetter says in the great article, Loading, in the Journal of the American Orthopedic Association, a great article back in 99, uh, where they explain how the process works. Yep. Ledbetter says there can be inflammation without healing, but never healing without inflammation. So inflammation is phase one of three phases of healing. It's inflammation repair and remodel. Yep. That's in everybody's textbook. There's no disputing that. So it, yep. there are some things that people question me on because they don't understand, but that one, everybody learned. It's yep. inflammation repair remodel. So what is swelling? Well, you want, by the way, you don't want to block inflammation. And the good news is making it cold doesn't block inflammation. It merely slows it down. Yep. When the tissue rewarms, the inflammatory response resumes. Fortunately, because if it didn't, then all the people that had ice would never have gotten better. Yep. So the good news is, the, your immune system remembers what it's supposed to do when the tissue rewarms and the inflammatory response resumes. Swelling, on the other hand, isn't a good or a bad thing. It's merely the accumulation of waste at the end of the inflammatory cycle you have not yet evacuated. That's mm -hmm. all it is. So it's not a bad thing. Nothing wrong with it. It's just the accumulation of waste at the yeah. end of the inflammatory cycle you have not yet evacuated. So a reasonable question would then be, according to me, well, how does swelling evacuate? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't want it to get there. Well, wait a minute. Are you sure you don't want the fluid to get there? Yeah. Because again, going back to the clinical textbook, the damaged vessels constrict and the surrounding vessels dilate and increase perfusion. So the surrounding healthy vessels dilate and increase perfusion. In other words, the fluid is coming there on purpose. That's your immune system mobilizing your repair and cleanup crew to get yeah. to the damaged site to solve the problem. So are you sure you want to stop that from getting there? By the way, making it cold won't stop it. It'll merely delay it. Mm -hmm. When the tissue rewarms, the inflammatory response resume and the fluid will come. Yeah. So it, let's just say you were right and you should stop it. You want to stop it. 
Yeah. I'm going to make it cold and I'm going to stop it. Well, well, what about when it rewarms? Well, well, I'm going to stop it for now. Okay. We're going to stop it for now, but when the tissue rewarms, it's going to come anyway, but isn't it supposed to come? Yeah. Let's just say that too much is coming. That for some reason, your immune system doesn't know how to regulate the proper amount of fluid sure. repair and cleanup crew to send to the site. Yeah. You're so smart, you're going to regulate it. Okay, is it 3% too much, 47% too much, 91% too much? Yep. You different than me, hands different than feet. How are you going to regulate it? How will you measure it to know you're there? See, the problem is that people say things like that, but they've never thought through, well, what's the next question? Yeah. Well, the next question would have to be, are you sure it shouldn't be there? Yeah. Well, yeah, it shouldn't be there. Okay, well, how much shouldn't be there? Should you block it all? Yeah. Should you block 2%, 18%, 21%? How much should you block? Yeah. I think and there's, and- n- there's no way of knowing that. And But yeah. remember, it's wrong. It's supposed to come anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I think from a general public standpoint, they might see like, oh, my ankle is, is abnormal now. It's swollen. It's It doesn't look right. So I want to keep it looking right. You know, okay, well, and that's see, where no, you, I think that's where the notion is. Not necessarily that that's, you know, the, obviously the right notion, but I think that's kind of where a block is for some people. Yeah, no, but see, you're introducing a different question there because you're saying now the swelling is there. You're no longer trying to stop it from getting there. Sure. You're noticing it's there and you want it to go away. Yep. So you're going to make it cold to make it go away. So you're going to shut off the signals between the muscles and the nerves. And that's going to move waste, the swelling, through a passive lymphatic system. Let's just go check in the textbook and see if that's true, if that's (laughs) how the passive lymphatic system works. Okay, key word, passive. It is a passive lymphatic system. The waste moves through that passive lymphatic system via muscle activation around the vessels that, in effect, milks the cow backwards. It squeezes it up a chamber. The empty chamber has negative pressure. The negative pressure pulls the swelling, the waste out of the interstitial space, and so on. So you milk the cow backwards. You get how it goes? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Before so, before you get too too far down this on the swelling, um, I want you to explain the lymphatic system. So if somebody's not in like, uh, you know, they're a parent of an athlete, they didn't study this. Um, what is the lymphatic system when you're talking about that? Okay. So there are two major systems in your circulation, Mm -hmm. your vascular system, that's your heart pumps, the blood goes out, goes out through the arteries, through the arterioles, and then down to the capillaries, then to the capillaries, back to the venules, back to the veins, and back to your heart, and it circulates. So there's a pump, your heart's pumping that around. There's a return system to pick up the excess called your lymphatic system. It's a one-way system without a pump. There is no heart pumping. And in effect, it's your sewage system. So okay. if you if you looked at a, 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 a at a city and you yep. saw all the things above ground and then you said, well, where's all the waste go? Well, it's in pipes under the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, in effect, these are the pipes under the ground. So your lymphatic system, there's some 165,000 miles or so in your body of lymphatic vessels and they're everywhere. They're intermediate, they're superficial, they're deep, they're all over your body, they're just yeah. everywhere. And they pick up the waste, the excess fluid Okay. and bring it back through your system and then filter it along the way and then kill the bad guys if they catch any. Got it. And in effect, it's like your garbage disposal 
You know, in your garbage disposal system, when you push the button, it goes, Vroom, and it yeah. all goes away. Yep. Well, that's your lymphatic system. And the button you're pushing is muscle activation. Okay. So you've got to activate your muscles around those passive lymphatic vessels, and it squeezes the vessel mm -hmm. and pushes the weight up a chamber. So they're little chambers with return valves, so it can't backflow. Yep. And so that empty chamber now is a negative pressure that pulls more waste out of the interstitial space. And then you squeeze it again and it pushes it out. So okay. it's, it's, it's muscle contraction around the yep. vessel, push waste up, empty chamber, pulls waste in, push it up. And I say it's like milking a cow backwards. Yep. So okay. that's your lymphatic system. And in your body, uh, the lymphatic system, well, you won't survive very long. I mean, within days, if your lymphatic system stops working, you, it has to be there. Yeah. And what's interesting to me, as I learned about the lymphatic system, is how little attention is paid to the lymphatic system by most people who are in the business. Now, things have changed in the past 10 years. Okay. The lymphatic system's getting a lot of play now. But 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 yeah. years ago, when I started, 47 years ago when I started, I never even heard of the lymphatic system. Yeah. But I did know something that doctors always check for swollen glands. I had no idea that was part of your lymphatic system. Oh. No one ever mentioned that. Yeah. No one ever said, oh, that's what he's checking is your lymphatic system. So, you know, that's, that's the one of the, the catch points. And it's like, really? Well, why didn't anybody ever say that? Yeah. I heard about veins. I heard about blood. But I yeah. never heard about the lymphatic system. Yeah. And it turns out the lymphatic system is the only way for that waste around that swollen ankle to evacuate. There's no other way out, by the way. There aren't six paths. There's yeah. one. Yeah. It's got to go back to your passive lymphatic system. Okay. So now we ask a simple question. Would sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around your ankle mm -hmm. while sticking it up in the air move waste through the passive lymphatic system? Yeah. Well, remember what we have to have. We have to have the squeezing of the muscle, the muscle yeah. contraction. So you've shut the signals off between the muscles and the nerves by making it cold. You're sitting still, so there's no muscle activation. You've compressing the very vessels you're trying to move the waste through. I mean, just think about this. You're trying to move waste down your garbage disposal. Yeah. And I say, well, the problem is you have a one and a half inch pipe under your sink. Let's put an eighth inch pipe there instead. Yeah. You'd be like, well, that won't work. Right. <laughs> so why are you compressing it? Remember, yeah. the tourniquet is to prevent a bleed out from the intact body part. Yeah. You don't put tourniquets on bodies that you're trying to move waste to the passive lymphatic system. Yeah. But unfortunately, they do. So, so now you say, well, but, but if I sit still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around and I stick it in the air, that's going to move the swelling out of my ankle? Well, the answer is, of course it doesn't. It yeah. can't. It's, it, there's no chance that's going to work. You've yeah. done everything you can do practically to prevent it from moving. Yeah. So you say, well, I don't want my ankle to be swollen. And then I'll tell you, then don't do the rice protocol because that is completely the opposite of what you need to do. What you need to do is activate the muscles in and around the damaged site and increase circulation, not decrease circulation. Yeah. Not, you want the fluid to move, not sit still. You want the clotting factors to repair and cleanup crew to get to the damaged site. Yeah. They can't get there if you sit still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around it by sticking it in the air. Yeah. So what about, say, 
now somebody might be thinking, okay, um, I don't want to activate my muscle because it hurts. Um, I shouldn't ice it. I shouldn't compress it, but elevating it might make sense because would gravity help flush that, uh, swelling or lymphatic system kind of out if I elevate it? No, no, not surprising. The answer was no, (laughs) it's a, it's a passive lymphatic system. Yeah. If, if, if you had to elevate to move the waste through your passive lymphatic system, then why aren't your feet filled up with fluid right now? Yep. They're not elevated, are they? Nope. <laughs> it's sitting flat on the ground. So, yeah. and, and what about and what about anything above your head? Mm-hmm. Do you have to stand in your head to stop it from evacuating? I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, see, the, the as soon as you think it through, you go, "Well, how would that work?" Exactly. I'm going to elevate. I'm going to stick it up in the air. Let's just see what sticking up in the air does. Let's say it helped the flow in one direction. Okay. Does that mean it's hurting it in the other? Probably. <laughs> so, so here's your heart trying to pump blood to the damaged site, which is, which is bringing the repair and cleanup crew. Yeah. So you elevate the body part because you're so smart. <laughs> and the repair and cleanup crew are trying to send or trying to get to the damaged site. But you're creating roadblocks by not moving. So there's yeah. no muscle activation. There's, yeah. no, there's no blood flow increase. You made it cold, which slowed down the blood yeah. flow increase or the blood flow. You compressed it, yeah. which just about stopped the flow of the repair and cleanup crew getting to the damage site. And then just to make sure nobody gets there, you stick it up in the air. Now, to stick it up in the air affect blood flow to the site? Yes it slows it down. Yeah. So a lot, a little, but it does. I mean, you know, take your hand above your head and try to put a, a, a bulb in a light and have trouble. And after about a minute or so, you're going to put your hand down and kind of shake it because there's not enough blood getting to your fingers. Yeah. But it, it hurt it going up and it likely helped it a little in the venous return. Yeah. But remember the pressure is what drives that. It's a closed system. You basically stop the pressure by elevating it. It's so wrong. It's almost comical. (laughs) Yeah. Once you, once you spell it out, once you think about it, it, this, this whole conversation makes sense. Um, One. Okay. So uh, going on to another claim of icing numbs the pain. It does. And I liken that to the sympathetic bartender that gives the alcoholic a drink so he can temporarily feel better. Did it work? Maybe. Did it solve the problem? No. Did it make things worse? Probably. But the alcoholic doesn't hang himself that night. And he was going to. So you say, hey, that's a net gain. He didn't kill himself. So you tell me that we've got a 12-year-old with a dislocated ankle. We're 45 minutes from the hospital. All we have is a bag of ice and a driver. And no one at the site knows how to relocate the ankle. Put it on ice. It makes yeah. perfect sense to do it then because it, it'll work. Yep. And the damage that it will cause, the, the when you put ice on, it delays healing, it increases swelling, and it causes additional damage. But it does relieve pain. Yep. And so does giving an alcoholic a drink solve that problem. Yep. But now we have a question. How often does that happen? Yeah. Not very. Would it work? <laughs> sure. That. First of all, 
if if you gave that that young person with a dislocated ankle the bag of ice mm-hmm. and you talk to them, you'd calm them down and it would start hurting less. So they'd stop panicking and kicking their foot around and, and crying. Yeah. So it would work. Then on top of that, when you get to the hospital, it would be numb. Yeah. And it'd be much easier to relocate the ankle if it's not grossly swollen. And the ice will temporarily delay the swelling. Yeah. So it makes sense then. So can you use it for pain control? Just be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Because you're bringing along with that, you're going to delay healing. Yep. Because you're delaying the transportation of the of the uh, repair and cleanup crew and the evacuation of the waste. Yeah. So you're delaying healing. Now, in that 45 minutes of the hospital, who cares? Yeah. Solve the problem, get to the hospital, make the kids stop crying. So I'm 100% for that. There. Yep. But for someone who says, well, yeah, but, you know, I, I want to make it numb so I can exercise because I heard exercise is going to be good for me. Well, hold on. Now you shut off the signals that alert you to harmful movement. Yeah. You need movement to solve the problem. But those signals alert you to harmful movement so you don't hurt yourself. So, no, you don't use it to shut off the signals to alert you to harmful movement and then go do harmful movements. Yeah. yeah Could you use it to make something not hurt? Well, actually, there are much better ways to make it not hurt. And I'll, I'll prove it to you and your audience. Anybody who wants to try this can just do it. Uh, if you've ever badly sprained your ankle, yep. uh, and you probably have being a runner, um, you remember that there was a position that made it hurt twice as much. Yeah. Like if you if you if you jumped up and down, that made it hurt a lot. <laughs> yeah. But if you laid down and kind of got your leg in the right position, it made it stop hurting pretty much all the way, right? Yeah. Okay. So there are better ways of controlling pain than making it cold and being in the wrong position. Mm-hmm. So find that neutral position that has the least pain. And then there are electronic uh, ways of, uh, uh, of, of pain control. You know, uh, people call them TENS machines and things. Okay. So there are ways to control pain electronically that doesn't drag the ice problems along with it. But remember, when you shut off the signals that alert you to harmful movement, you have not solved the problem. Yep. You've just shut off the signals that alert your harmful movement. So here's the problem with that. Let's say you broke your collarbone. And I've been involved in people who have done this. And I give you a bag of ice and I put Mm -hmm. it on your shoulder area and I make it stop hurting. And you fall asleep for three hours. And the whole time you're sleeping, you're distracting the fracture site. In other words, you're pulling the fracture site apart because Mm -hmm. you're in a position that should have been, you should have been warned hurts, but you've made it numb. So you can't feel it. Could you find me anywhere in medicine that somebody would recommend that you distract a fresh fracture site for three hours while you sleep? No. No, of course not. So you see the problem? Yeah. Yes, it works, but be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Because now what you've done is, and it's the key point, you have shut off the signals that alert you to harmful movement. Mm -hmm. You need movement to solve the problem, but you need the signals to alert you to harmful movement so you don't hurt yourself. So yeah, you'll make it not hurt, but is that what you want? Or do you want to solve the problem? Yeah. So let's just say you, that you say, my ankle hurts so bad. And I look down, it's all swollen and black and blue. And I say, well, how about if we get the swelling out and see how it feels? Yeah. And we'll find a neutral position, get the swelling out. And then we'll see how much it hurts. Anybody that I've ever worked with, and it equals thousands of athletes, thousands, maybe tens of thousands. I don't know, but I'll just say thousands. Yeah. Thousands of athletes 
once you get the swelling out, most of the pain is gone. Yeah. And if you find a neutral position, well, then there's almost no pain. Yeah. I broke my collarbone several years ago. The story's in the book. And uh, when I broke my collarbone, uh, it hurt a lot when I hit and it snapped. Fortunately, I turned my head and I was actually running. And I, I tripped down in the Baltimore, uh, Maryland, uh, running around the harbor area. And nothing was there. I just tripped. Yeah. And I broke my collarbone and I, I was lying on the sidewalk. And if you've ever done it, you quickly realize you can't push up off your hands and get up. You have to kind of wiggle to your side because your arm doesn't work. Okay. And a woman came running over who was happened to be running down the other side of the street. And she said, I'm calling an ambulance. Don't move. I'm like, oh, no, don't call an ambulance. I'm, I'm going to get up. And she said, what's wrong? I said, I, I broke my collarbone. She said, how do you know? I said, I felt it snap in half and I can't get up. So <laughs> I, I know it's broken. Yeah. And I got up and uh, she looked at me. And she said, really? She said, well, you should go to the hospital. And I said, no, because I, I can see my hotel over there. I was staying at the Marriott over by the stadium. Yeah. So I can see my hotel. It's about a mile and a half away. And, you know, I'm just going to go to the hotel and I'll figure it out when I get there. She said, well, I'm not going to let you go by yourself. I said, okay, well, you want to come? And so she ran with me. Now, unfortunately, I never got her name. I never got to thank her. But every time I do a podcast, I say, hey, by the way, if you're the woman who helped me, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to know your name. <laughs> but she ran all the way back with me. But in about the first 10 steps, I went, ah. Oh. She said, what's wrong? I said, I went back into place. Now, once the bone snapped back into place, it felt way better than it yeah. did for those first 10 steps. So I run away back to the hotel and uh, I get myself into the hotel and the, the, uh, that uh, next day uh, or that night, actually, I had to drive to Philadelphia where my doc was because I knew a doctor. So I wanted to go to someone I knew. And I drove up Sunday night and then Monday morning I went in to see him or Monday, Monday around one o'clock. I went in to see him. And when I got there, he said, uh, what do you think is going on? I said, it broke. And he went, well, okay, let's take a look. He took a look. He goes, well, I don't see any swelling. I said, trust me, it's broke. Well, see, I had used a muscle activation device that okay. I, because I represent a, a medical grade muscle activation device. I had used it for about 16 hours post-trauma. I had no swelling. I had no pain. Wow. <laughs> he said to me, uh, I figured I was going to have, to have surgery because for whatever reason, I believe you had to have surgery when you broke your collarbone. Yeah. And he said to me, uh, Gary, uh, it's, it's perfectly aligned. There's nothing we need to do. I mean, it's good. It's, you wear a sling and you'll be fine. And I went, okay. So he started writing a prescription for pain meds and anti-inflammatories. I said, doc, why would I take an anti-inflammatory? Don't I want my inflammatory response to react to this damage? He's like, well, yeah. I said, okay, well, then I don't like that. And he tried to give me some pain meds. And I'm like, yeah. I don't need those. And he said, no, tonight's going to be a bad night. I said, no, doc, last night was a bad night. Because last night I thought I was going to have surgery today. So I'm not having a bad night at all right now. Tonight's yeah. <laughs> going to be simple. I don't need pain meds. And he tore the scripts up and threw them away. I broke my collarbone. Never never even considered a drug because I didn't need it. I had no yeah. pain because I had the swollen control and I found the neutral position. Yeah. So at the uh, 
Saturday, six days post break, I had my arm fully extended above my head. Wow. Now, my doc said to me, Gary, just be aware that people our age have to be careful of a frozen shoulder. I said, I'm not on a frozen shoulder. And he goes, I'm just telling you, be careful. I had my arm fully extended above my, <laughs> above my head. Six days post break. Wow. Now, why? Because I never had the swelling. I didn't have pain. I found a neutral position and I stayed there. They put me in a sling, by the way. And the sling had me in such a position that it made it hurt. Oh. I'm like, well, that's a stupid position. So yeah. I lowered it down and I caught my thumb on my belt loop. Yeah. And it didn't hurt there. So that's how I went around the next couple of days. <laughs> I didn't wear a sling. I didn't do anything. Now, when I went through security at the airport, he told me, wear the sling so they don't pat you down. I said, okay, I'll, that makes sense. I don't want anybody banging my shoulder right now. So, yeah. so once I got through security, I took the sling off. I never wore it again. Now, why did it hurt? Or why didn't it hurt? Well, A, I didn't make it cold and distract it while I fell asleep yep. for several hours the first night. So I was beginning to heal immediately. My repair and cleanup crew got to the site. Yep. I didn't have any swelling. Yeah. None. There was none. There was some black and blue, but I had no actual yeah. swell. Well, that's not fair. There may have been a little swell. There was I no mean, noticeable palpable swelling. Yeah. To, to be fair, you had that what swelling is, you know, kind of the waste product of inflammation. You had it, you were just getting it away with your tense unit or your, um, what was that unit that you were it's, using? It's a muscle stimulator. It's called an H wave. And, and I was using it to, to just decongest the area mm -hmm. in and around the damaged site because I knew that if it started to swell, that was going to make it hurt yep. and I would lose function. So I'd have pain and lost function and I don't want either of those things. Yeah. So I just <laughs> kept it clean. Yeah. And as the, as the fluid was coming to the damaged site, yep. I was evacuating the excess. Yep. Very simple. And by the way, I've done that through my network of people many, many, many hundreds of times. Yeah, yeah. The, the last thing that I've heard people do with icing is, okay, I had a hard workout and, you know, my calves, say my calves, that's pretty common, uh, or shins. Um, they aren't necessarily like, they haven't been through trauma, like a broken bone, a rolled ankle, anything like that. Um, but that people just ice on that. Um, now I would imagine that after a workout, there's that similar response of damaged muscle tissue inflammation going there. And then a little swelling, maybe not as much as like a, um, rolled ankle for say, or that big a trauma. Um, am I correct when saying that and, and therefore icing still being a bad option? It's still a bad option, but remember what you're trying to do. Look, when you get hurt, whether it's slight or severe, yeah. it doesn't make a difference. Your immune system says, we have a problem, go fix it. There are two things that have to happen. You have to decongest the area in and around the damaged site. And you have to rebuild the related vascular network. That's all there is to it. You got to do those two things. Good stuff in, bad stuff out. That's the circulation part that reduced yeah. the swelling. And then you've got to rebuild the related vascular network in and around the damaged site. So if it's slight, there'll be little of that necessary. If it's significant, there'll be a lot of that necessary. 
And basically, if you look and there's a lot of bruising around the area, there's broken vessels. That's okay. what the bruising is. That's blood that's leaked out. Now you got to go rebuild those vessels. So you say, well, how would I do that? Like, how do I decongest the area in and around the damaged site? Yeah. Well, making it cold accomplish that task. Of course it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Making it cold, worse, resting, icing, compression, elevation. Clearly the wrong thing to do. But if you only made it cold, if you didn't do the other three things, I don't know how you'd make it cold and can and not rest. That would be risky because now you've shut up the signal yeah. to alert you to harmful movement. Yeah, you so that's not a good idea. Don't do that. I wouldn't suggest compressing it, of course, because then you're compressing the vessels you're trying to move the waste through, and that's not a good idea, yeah. or the nourishment through and the other side of it. And elevating it, of course, has the same problems. Whatever you're helping in one direction, you're hurting it in the other. So yeah. all four of those things are wrong. Now, you've got some slight damage, and you have trained. You, you simply worked out. Yep. The literature says that that dampens both vascular and muscular adaptation so is that your goal no so then why would you do it well that's what the literature says happens if you do that but let's look at why it does that if you put ice on the damaged tissue and your goal is to decongest the area in and around the damaged site and rebuild the related vascular network which should always be your goal there should be no other goal yeah. that's your goal no matter what happens that's your goal Good stuff in, bad stuff out, rebuild the related vascular network if it's been damaged. Okay, so would making a cold do that? Of course not. Yep. It slows everything down. It, by the way, it slows everything down. That's the <laughs> whole point of it. It slows down the metabolic process. Yeah. Is that what you want to do? Is that your goal? Of course it's not. Your goal no. is to decongest the area in and around the damaged site and rebuild the related vascular network. So all you have to do is say, is the thing I'm going to do accomplishing that task? This is not tricky, right? Yep. Would beating with a ball peen hammer accomplish that task? <laughs> no. Okay. Would doing box jumps accomplish that task? Probably not. Probably that's probably not a good idea when you're hurt. Yep. Okay. So what would? Well, what would? If you go back to my day in the late fifties, early sixties, when I played sports, coaches said to us. Whenever we got hurt, got jammed finger in basketball or hit by a pitch or whatever. Yeah. They would say, don't sit still, keep moving it, walk it off. Yeah. If you sit still, it'll tighten up, keep moving it. Everybody in my whole generation knows to walk it off. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Well, why did that work? We never heard of the things that they're doing today with the Reich protocol. That didn't exist. That didn't come around until 78. Yeah. So we all knew to walk it off. The don't sit still, it'll tighten up. Keep moving it. All we're doing with the device I was talking about, the H-Wave, yeah. is that we're electronically walking it off. So we're using the <laughs> we're using the muscle as a pump yeah. to move nourishment and waste. That's all we're doing. Yeah. So you have um, a, a new acronym or a different acronym to remember what is actually the answer, which is... Um, Arita, if I, if Arita. I'm, yeah, you know, active recovery is the answer. Yes. So, and, and what he means by that again is that um, using the muscle activation to um, help facilitate the lymphatic system, get the waste out of there, um, and heal, let your body do the healing. Um, 
by the way, that's how the body heals. Stillness is the enemy. If you go to my website, GaryRonald.com, there's a free article called Stillness is the Enemy. You can link it to your podcast if you want. Oh, dear. And that article explains to you right out of the clinical textbooks, stillness is the enemy. And how I come up with Arita, Active Recovery is the Answer, is that I was talking to a reporter uh, from the Toronto Star, and this yeah. is on my website, so you can actually go and read it. Uh, believe it or not, when I was interviewed, they put me on the front page of the Toronto Star about why you shouldn't use ice. And it was like, really? I'm front page news of a newspaper? Well, actually, yeah, you can actually see that I was. Yep. But the reporter said to me, well, Gary, if, uh, if, if rice is wrong, what is right? And I said, well, active recovery is the answer. I mean, that's, that's just all there is to it. She said, yeah. well, well, what's the acronym? And I went, hold on. Arita. And she said, what's Arita? I said, active recovery is the answer. And she said, well, you've been saying that the whole time. I said, I know, but I never put it in letters before. So I never had an acronym before. So that's where it came from. Literally, yeah. that's exactly what happened. She said to me, well, so what's the acronym? I'm like, I don't know. Active yeah. recovery is the Arita. <laughs> Fortunately, it was pronounceable, you know, because you don't you don't know if you'll be able to pronounce the, yeah. the letters to something you're saying. And it, it actually it's a word, Arita. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> uh yeah so um quickly i know we're getting towards the end of our time here but i want to um highlight just how it was kind of taking on um this right philosophy the, the right way to think of uh healing process from an injury to a world that was you know dominant with icing as a culture how um, it was uh i'll put it to you the easiest way i can one of the first people that i spoke with at the national level i yeah. work with uh, over 100 professional athletic teams use the product that i represent that i work with and the one of the first trainers said to me he said gary don't 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 go out saying this and i went well what he said gary you'll ruin your career stop don't don't do this. It, mm -hmm. Don't do it. And I said, well, no, I know something that needs to be said, and I'm going to go and say it. If it ruins yeah. my career, I don't really care. I'm going to go do it. And then I went and did it. And the first thing that I found was that uh, I went around interviewing um, athletic trainers, physical therapists, sports medicine docs uh, from military bases, uh, um, to professional athletic teams, hundreds and hundreds of professional athletic teams. I go to all their national meetings. So like the winter meeting, I just came back from Major League Baseball. It was virtual this year, but I go. And then the NFL Combine, I go to everything and I meet with the trainers. Yeah. And uh, you have to pay to get in. So it isn't like they you know that, oh, let's invite Gary. No, you pay <laughs> to be a vendor, but you're allowed to talk to them then. Yeah. And uh, I started interviewing people, went to the stadiums and went to their practice facilities and uh, Apollo Ono's trainer. And uh, I even got invited to the White House to explain this to the President of the United States personal physical therapist who was a Lieutenant Colonel in the US military. Yeah. And, uh, and you say, well, what? Go on my Twitter feed and go back to 2016 and you'll see the certificate they sent me thanking me 
for helping with the care of the president of the United States. Yeah. So we think, well, what? Okay. I went out and interviewed everybody. So I went to the head trainer for the, for the Lakers and for the, for the, the Jets and the Marlins and the Rangers. And I just went everywhere, NHL and NBA. I went everywhere. If you talk to me, I went. And like I said, Apollo Ono's trainer was one of the most interesting because uh, he's a uh, kind of off-center guy to begin with. He doesn't really go by, well, here's what the tech, no, he goes and does what he says works. His name is John Schaefer. <coughs> His name is John Schaefer. And when I went to John and I explained to him about why ice was wrong, he said, well, I just want you to know I don't use ice. And I said, well, okay, great. I said, what do you think? He said, well, I never knew why I didn't use it. I just knew it didn't work. Now, based on what you've explained to me, now I know why I don't know it. Now I know why I don't do it because now I know why it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I went everywhere and I asked the trainers, what do you do? Someone rolls their ankle, what do you do? And they would tell me. And I'd say, so do you have any literature to support that? Because they were basically all doing the rice protocol. Yeah. And I'd say, if any literature to support that, I'm creating a pile and, you know, I don't have an opinion. I just want to know what everybody thinks and kind of justify. I'm going to organize it. Nobody's ever done it. Yeah. Someone's going to organize all the facts. And uh, after about the 20 or 30th or 40th elite level trainer, doctor, therapist, not having any evidence whatsoever that it was a good idea to do it. Yeah. I went, there's something wrong. So then I started learning more. And I had to read about everything. I had to go and read about tissue regeneration and about angiogenesis and mitochondria biogenesis and yeah. all the stuff that nobody wants to read unless you're into that. Well, I wasn't into it, but I had to go read it to find out, well, why did they believe this? Yeah. And then I realized that it's almost the worst thing you can do. And once I was asked, well, what would be worse than the RICE protocol, rest, ice, compression, elevation? I said, beating the area with a ball peen hammer while you're sitting there with an ice bag still stuck up in the air with a tourniquet around it. Uh, and you think, well, was it being sarcastic? No, they asked me what would make it worse. And now yeah. if you beat with a ball peen hammer, that would make it worse. <laughs> so when I went out and started explaining, and now I'm past the interview stage, I have hundreds and hundreds of articles behind me and a dozen or more clinical textbooks. And all of the experts explaining to me what they thought and why, and now I really got it. One trainer told me uh, as we were walking out of his facility, it's in my book, it's the Colorado Rockies head trainer. Okay. And uh, when I was explaining things to him, he was kind of aggressively agreeing with me and I've just been going along and uh, I didn't really ever wait for approval yeah. from people. I just explained it. Well, I got a sense from him that he knew I was right. And as we were walking out of his uh, facility, out of the uh, out of the ballpark, yeah. we were down in the main lobby. And I turned to him and I said, uh, I got the feeling that you don't think ice is a good idea. He said, I know it's not. I don't do it. I don't know. It's wrong. He was the first person at that level, at that elite level, to admit to me that he knew it was wrong. And I was like, wow. I walked out of that stadium. I was a foot and a half off the ground. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I realized that, wait a minute, this isn't crazy talk. 
I'm not going to ruin my career. But it took years to where I had to really, really, really push hard to be able to explain the facts because people wouldn't listen. But my breakthrough interview was with Dr. Kelly Starry, who is a DPT, uh, kind of that rough and tumble tattooed version of the CrossFit world. But he's very, very well accepted also in the mainstream. I wrote a book called The Supple Leopard and a couple others. Yeah, he's actually going to be on the show here in a couple of weeks. Oh, wonderful. You have a a great, well, he's going to be talking about his his knee operation that he just had. Uh, Well, so Dr. Starrett um, invited me onto his podcast. Well, it wasn't really a podcast. It was a YouTube release. Okay. And he, he interviewed me at the CrossFit World Championships about eight years ago, nine years ago. And when that broke to the public, he had to take down the comments page because there were such violent statements coming in because I dared touch on the third rail, as he called it. Well, as it turns out, over a quarter million people have watched that video. And when the rough and tumble tattooed community bought in and realized that what I was saying was true, remember, not right, it's true. Yep. I didn't make it up. I'm not an inventor, I'm a reporter. Yep. So when they, when they started pushing back against the mainstream, they accomplished more in, uh, in a week than I could in 10 years. Yeah. Because all of a sudden there were these, these couple hundred thousand rough and tumble, as I call them, tattooed people who got it. If you push back against them, they just said, no, you're wrong. Yeah. And they're a rough batch. And you, you know, it, not that the passive community you know, the people who didn't really care or they didn't want to conflict or, yeah. you know, I don't really want to disagree with anybody, you know, do what you think is right. No, no, that's not the group I, Kelly took me to. Yeah. Kelly took me to the people who were like, that's wrong. It's stupid. Don't do it. <laughs> and I was like, wow. So the next thing I know, I, I'm getting phone calls and, uh, and emails from people all over the world, mostly this country, but Canada, Australia, Japan, emails coming in saying, I heard your podcast with Kelly and I love it. And can you give me more information? Well, at that point, there was no book. Yeah. So that's when I knew I had to write the book because I was spending uh, a long, long, long number of hours per week. And I mean, like I was starting to approach that 30, 40 hour a week, answering phone calls, emails, and talking to people. And (laughs) what I realized was, well, actually, my son said to me, Dad, you're going to have to write a book because you're giving everybody the same answer every time. This is crazy. You're going to, you're, you can't do this. You can't yeah. spend this much time giving the same answer every time. Yeah, exactly. So but- that's when we wrote the book. And then once the book was organized and it was put out, um, suddenly I had credibility, which you shouldn't have because you write a book, but yeah. I had credibility. And then Dr. Starrett wrote the foreword to the first edition. And in that, he wrote, there are a few seminal moments in my career. Meeting Gary Rhino was one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not going to claim I belong at that position in his, sure. in his development. But that changed everything out in the street. And then about a year later, uh, when Dr. Merkin uh, contacted me, and that's who invented the rice protocol. When Dr. Merkin offered to write the forward to the second edition, now I've got Kelly Starrett 
the rough and tumble guy and Dr. Merkin who made up the rice protocol. I have two forwards on my book. Yeah. It, it was no longer difficult. Yeah. People don't fight me anymore. Yeah. And an odd thing you can do is if you Google my name, you'll find that there are almost no negative comments about my book. There are people who say I'm not qualified. He's not a therapist. He's not a doctor. There's that kind of stuff. But nobody says what he says on page 47 is wrong. Yeah. Now, a little thing to you and to your listeners, just in case they've come this far with us. I was asked on a podcast, are you a doctor? No. Are you a therapist? No. Are you an athletic trainer? No. Are you a strength coach? Well, sort of, but I'm not qualified. But I'm, I did train professional world-class athletes for a dozen years or so many yeah. years ago, uh, back in the 70s. So no, I'm not really a strength coach. Well, then why should I listen to you? So let me ask you a question. How many of them do you think there are? How many of them? Athletic trainers, physical therapists, sports docs. Yeah. How, strength, how many of them do you think there are in the whole country? How many? How many would you guess? More than a million? Yeah. And especially if you're talking, I mean, North America, worldwide. I mean, you're like a million of them. Yeah. At least. There's at least a million of them, right? I think it's a fair number, right? I've looked it up. There's more than a million. So there's more than, well, there's more than a million registered in their, in their okay. categories. So here's the question I have for you. Out of those million people, how many have told you what I just told you? Yeah. None, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, then why would I want to be one of them? <laughs> yeah. See, when you're one of them, you have bias. You believe stuff. You think you know. You already learned that. You already yeah. thought it through. I had a trainer say to me, 25-year trainer in a major sports franchise, had several championship rings. And he said, Gary, you're just wrong. And I said, well, it's not me. I'm simply presenting facts to you. So I, I'm not, I can't be wrong because I don't, it's not me. Yeah. I'm just presenting evidence to you. Here's the evidence. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to decongest the area in and around the damage site, rebuild the related vascular network. Do you disagree with that? No, that's true. Okay, well, what you're doing doesn't do that. It does the opposite. Mm -hmm. So that's not me. That's the fact. So he said to me, Gary, you're simply wrong, though. I've been doing this for 25 years. I've worked with some of the greatest athletes in the world. It's always worked. I said, yeah, in spite of you. <laughs> now, unfortunately, that trainer's never talked to me again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you see, here's the point of that. It's a very big point. It's a very important point. Mm -hmm. If he were to admit that what he did for the past 25 years was wrong, would he have to also admit that he may have cost his team championship games? Mm -hmm. That he shortened the careers of some of the players that he worked with? Would he have to admit that then? Would he have to say... Gee, I wonder if that's why Blank never really got over that ankle injury. He's not going to do that. He's a hero right now. When he walks into a restaurant, people want to get his pic their picture with him. Yeah. I've been there. I've seen it. They want his autograph, for heaven's sakes. The news media runs up to him and says, hey, is going to play in the nice game? 
How's he doing? Is he almost better? He's a yeah. celebrity. So to admit that what he's done for the past 25 years was wrong, well, what do you do with that? So if we have time for one fast story, I promise I'll keep yeah, it tight. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I won't tell you his name, but okay. I, I, I will tell you off air and I'll give you his phone number. Okay. But I can't do it on air because it involves an actual player. Got it. So here's what happened. Uh, get an email from him. Gary, thought you'd like to hear what just happened. Mm -hmm. We had a player with a longitudinal quad tear. This is at an elite international level. Yeah. We had a player with a longitudinal quad tear. Measured the blood in the quad with ultrasound. Activated the muscles in and around the damaged site for about six and a half hours. Measured the blood in the quad with ultrasound the following day. Gone. G-O-N-E, gone, period. Turned a four to six week injury into running in three days and playing in the world championships in 10. Now, wow. listening, you ought to question that. You ought to say, that can't be true. Yeah. Well, no, actually it is true. But let me explain to you why it's true. First of all, this individual's 25 years, a DPT, ATC, functioning at the highest level in sports in our country. Yeah. He said to me, Gary, I was shocked at how fast doing what you said sped things up. I said, no, it didn't. He said, no, Gary, this is a four to six week problem. We got her back in three days running, 10 days playing in the world championships. You really did. I said, no, we didn't speed it up. You normalized the rate of recovery by removing the related obstacles. That's how long it's supposed to take. It takes four to six weeks when you mismanage it. Yeah. Now, here's what happens. Let's just say that we let that longitudinal quad tear, the blood, sit in the tissue. Following day, it would be swollen, black and blue, very uncomfortable. By the third day, bending the knee would become an issue. Yeah. Be hard. Likely on crutches for two weeks. By the way, that would be normal when you mismanage. Yeah. It's normal. Okay. So if you had that problem and you let that congestion be there, the swelling in and around the damaged site would suffocate and kill otherwise perfectly healthy cells that were not involved in the initial trauma. Simply a fact. On top of that, you would have disuse atrophy from lack of use. Yeah. Systemic, the whole leg. The whole leg would go. The yeah. toe muscles would get, would get weaker. On top of that, the... Remember, it's inflammation repair remodel. So the repair phase would not be remodeled because of lack of action. If there was repair going on, and heavens, if you compressed it, iced it, elevated it, and rested it, then it'd be <laughs> even worse because then you would have trapped the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent yeah. the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. So it'd be even worse. Yeah. But let's just say that uh, we now are out a uh, week and a half. You would have suffocating kills otherwise perfectly healthy cells were not involved in the initial trauma. You would have disuse atrophy. You would have faulty scarring in and around the damaged site from lack of reorganizing repair tissue. On top of that, because you weren't doing anything and there's actually atrophy going on, instead of increasing, you're decreasing everything. 
Yeah. You wouldn't have rebuilt the related vascular network. And obviously there's damage to related vascular network because that's what all the bruising was. That's what all the blood was. So you wouldn't have rebuilt the related vascular network and your myostatin levels would elevate from the inactivity. Yeah. And myostatin inhibits muscle regeneration. So you've actually completed this. Oh, by the way, that you lower muscle, you lower myostatin levels by activating muscles. You prevent a retard disuse atrophy by activating muscles. Yeah. You rebuild the related vascular network by activating muscles. muscles. You decongest the area in and around the damaged site by activating muscles. You reorganize yep. the repair tissue by activating muscles. <laughs> so that's why active recovery is the answer because it is. So Rita is right. Yep. So because he did it right, we didn't speed things up. We now know how long it actually takes. Mm -hmm. Not a four to six week problem, unless you mismanage it. Yeah. If you manage it, it takes three days running, 10 days playing in the world championships. That is a fact. And I've seen that many, many times yeah. it, where trainers send me information, hit by a puck, big old swollen thing sticking out the shin, next morning gone. Why? Because they activate the muscles in and around the damage site all night while the player arrested and the waste was evacuated. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that that's so powerful. Um, and I, I'm so grateful that you are willing to share this story, all the stories um, to anybody who, I mean, you know, want, wants to hear it or can hear it because it's such an important message to not only elite level athletes, but to the, the parents of, you know, junior high kids, grade school kids, high school kids, because a lot of times they don't have somebody that has done all the research. They don't have somebody that can tell them exactly how to fix or get out of the way of healing an injury. So what do they rely on? Well, whatever the media tells them. And right now, mm -hmm. you know, what they've heard is, rice well yeah. we're out here trying to get this message to anybody in sport because that is not the answer and who knows like you've mentioned in your book you've mentioned on this podcast i mean who knows what kind of damage ricing has done on certain people's athletic career i mean well, let's take let's take a simple thing so you have a real example High school, senior, yeah. pitcher, all he has to do is perform decent. The scouts are coming to watch this game. Yep. They're not watching for his ability to win or lose. They're watching his ability to control himself on the mound. They're looking for character now. Skill, they've already con they've confirmed it. Sure. Kids there. It's April. It's near the end of the season in high school. In, in February, he developed a little problem in his shoulder. Started hurting him. Yeah. Well-meaning coaches and trainers iced him and iced him and iced him. Told him to ice. The kid was getting up in the middle of the night and he was icing because mm. he thought it was going to fix the problem. And this is a true story. It's now April. Yeah, it's now April. Yeah. Okay, it's now April. He's been icing himself now for a couple months. It's on the mound. His arm's killing him. 
very frustrated. The ball's not going where he's aiming it. As a result of his poor performance and his inability to control himself on the mound, he doesn't get a scholarship offer mm -hmm. because he was mismanaged for months. His parents, the coaches, the trainer, the pastor at his church recommended icing it. Everybody's telling the kid to ice it because yeah. he's mismanaged. He doesn't get to go and play college ball. Now, no offense to stocking shelves in the grocery store. I did that job once. That's what he's now doing. We'll never know if he could have made it in college yeah. because he was so grossly mismanaged because they riced him. They told him that's what you do to get better yeah. instead of what they should have done, active recovery, solve the problem. And the kid would have been fine in April and he would be playing college ball right now. Yeah. And you say, what well, does that matter? To him, it does. Mm -hmm. To him, it does. And no one has a right to take away another person's dream. Exactly. And that's what they've done by mismanaging. And by the way, the story I told you about that athlete with the quad, the longitudinal yep. quad tear, they went to the world championships. That individual scored a goal in the semifinals. That individual played in the world championship. Yeah. That team won a gold medal for the USA. That individual stood on the podium and had a gold medal put around their neck while our national anthem was playing in the background. That individual, if mismanaged, would never be able to tell that story. Yeah. For the rest of their life, you changed the conversation. Well, I didn't get to go because I had an injury. No, now they say I was there. And when they put the gold medal around my neck, during our national anthem and the tears were rolling down my cheek. It was the greatest moment in my athletic career Yeah, as their grandchild sitting on their knee. No one has the right to take away someone else's dream. Yeah, And if I can stop it by simply coming on a podcast or going and giving a lecture at a university, I've talked to parents who have called me and said, I can't believe you talked to me for 45 minutes. So it's not the 45 minutes. It's not you. It's who you're going to tell. It's who your student athlete is going to talk to. It's the trainer that's going to affect a thousand more people. I have no idea. By the way, I never looked you up to see how big your audience is. I have no idea. I don't care. If it's one, if you influence one person, if you give that one athlete with a longitudinal quad tear a chance to have a gold medal placed around their neck during the playing of the national anthem with tears rolling down their cheeks, it was worth every second I spent with you. Yeah. Man, I, I get chills when I, when I think of that. And uh, yeah. Um, so I, we're going to wrap up here. I'm going to uh, tell you where you can find more about um, Gary Rhino. Um, I, I like to take some questions from the audience. I post um, on Instagram and, and through emails, my audience say, this is who I'm going to be interviewing this week. Um, what questions do you have for them? So I have a couple of questions from the audience um, that I, I, you answer some of them. Um, but these two kind of stuck out to me. Um, one is, and, and these are just meant to be quick answers, like 60 seconds or less. So um, okay. if you don't know or don't want to go into it as feel free. Um, but in the research that you've done, it would seem maybe that um, 
the opposite of icing would be beneficial. So what are your thoughts on heating um, the area of injury? Well, because I had to also investigate that area because it's the opposite. Yep. Here's the problem. And I don't recommend it. Okay. But here, I don't recommend that you do it, but here's the re reason. When you have damaged tissue, the damaged vessels constrict, convert ingredients into blood, grow a clot, repair the vessel, dissolve the clot, and normalize flow in three to 10 days or so. Yep. The healthy surrounding vessels dilate and okay. increase perfusion. So that means that the increased flow is already occurring by your immune system. It's already doing it. Okay. If you dilate it further with heat, you've increased the flow in with no plan out. Mm. See your problem? Yep. There's already the right amount coming. Yep. You don't have to regulate it. It doesn't need your help. Your immune system knows where your eyelashes go and where your fingernails go. Yeah. <laughs> it knows how much repair and cleanup crew to send to the damaged site. Yeah. You put heat on and now you have passively increased flow. Okay. In. But not out. No exit plan. Yeah. Whereas if you do active recovery, active recovery will increase the flow in yep. and simultaneously the flow out. So a passive increase in flow in is not a good plan. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then the second thing was uh, cold water immersion and uh, not necessarily for a um, health standpoint where like healing standpoint but for a mental advantage in in the sport some people say uh, i like being in a nice bath because it's mentally challenging and my sport is mentally challenging do you think in your opinion um, that they would get what they're trying to get out of that ice bath without hurting themselves if they do it in the in the right time of day yes in the right time of day and I agree, discipline counts. Mm -hmm. So I'm all for discipline and there is tremendous discipline of keeping yourself in an ice bath. Yeah. And if you're going to do it, just look at the literature, you'll see that it dampens both vascular and muscular adaptation following training. So if you're going to do it, put it on the opposite side of the room of when you train. So you wouldn't finish training mm -hmm. and then immediately get in an ice bath and damp vascular muscular adaptation. That would be foolish. Yep. So, so let's say you're going to train in the morning at 6 a.m. And you're trying, by the way, the reason you're working out is to cause adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the whole point of, of doing it. Yep. So if you're going to do the ice bath, do it at least 12 hours later. And I would say longer than that, but that's half the day away. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't do it on the same day I train okay. ever for no reason. I don't care how much discipline you tell me I'm going to get out of it. Yeah. I would be 24 hours before I would do it. Okay. But uh, talking with that individual that we spoke with a little bit ago, Kelly Starrett. Yeah. Kelly says, just spread it out. Just don't do them at the same time. Yeah. And I'm going to go with Kelly on that answer. Uh, but personally, I'm going to spread it out 24 hours out because okay. I don't want to dampen my adaptation to yep. the training I just did in any way. 100%. It's a good discipline, you bet it is. And there's, discipline has an advantage. And, you know, can you, can you stay with it? 
Yeah. Can you focus and make yourself do it by, and going back to my, my days of running from Ocean City, if I had ever thought, we're not going to make it. We can't do this. It's too hard. This is crazy. Nobody our age ever. We never even heard of any of this, let alone someone our age. Yeah. We don't know what we're doing. We should stop. It never crossed my mind. It never crossed my mind once that we weren't going to do it or we should stop, right? Gee, yeah. nobody else has ever done it. And the same thing is you get that kind of discipline. I got it that day from the big run. Mm -hmm. I got it from losing, from being psyched out, by being bluffed by yeah. the guy with the chin up record. I don't need to go in the tub of ice to focus and get my discipline. I've yeah. got great discipline. Yeah. But if I was writing my book and I didn't have discipline, I would have quit 50 times. Yeah. Because it was like, this is crazy. I'm not going to fight with everybody. This is too hard. Everybody, everybody I'm talking to says they do it, even though they don't know why and they can't prove it's a good idea. So I'm all for discipline. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I do a, I do a thing for discipline. It isn't ice. I mean, it's not going in a, in a cold tub, but I do a thing from a hang from a, a pegboard. You know where the pegboard is where you oh, yeah, I have one in my garage. Well, I have a pegboard also, and I do a dead hang and I just count. And I start counting to 60 after I can no longer hang on anymore. <laughs> yeah. So when hang on becomes impossible, I start counting to 60. Yeah. And you know what? I always get to 60. Yeah. Because I ain't letting go until 60. <laughs> yeah. And if, but, if, but, if you haven't done that, that is like one of the worst pains in, in athletic. Like I, I, I've ran a 410 mile. I've done insane workouts on the track, but dead hanging on a pegboard once like you can't hang anymore it literally feels like your forearms are gonna rip out of your skin <laughs> i feel like my shoulders are gonna dislocate too because you get to that spot where you, you can't hold on anymore yeah. and you just say no i'm not gonna let go yeah i'm not letting go and you just say i'm not going to let go and you're not allowed to count fast you have to have the same pace you always have you can't go what do you want to say 60 no you got one two and you just hang there. And when you're at 30, you're saying to yourself, I don't think I can make it today. And then you get to 39 and you go, maybe. Yeah. And then you get to 51, you're saying, no, I can't hold on anymore. And then all of a sudden you're at 60. And just to be, uh, I don't know why exactly, but when I get to 60, I'll just hang there without a count for a little bit. <laughs> just to prove that in case I counted fast in the middle, I made yeah. it. So I'm all for discipline. I get it. And I yeah. know people who go in cold tubs and say it's tremendous discipline. I agree. I agree. I'm not, I'm not against it. But just realize if you do it after you train, you're yeah. going to dampen both vascular and muscular adaptation. Yeah, there's other ways to get that. I, I agree. Um, so I, this is, we might have to split this podcast into two. Otherwise, nobody's going to listen to it because they're going to see how long it is. <laughs> but um, I, I very much appreciate your time, Gary. If you're listening to this and you want more Gary in your life, go to GaryRinal.com. That's G-A-R-Y-R-E-I-N-L. 
Com. You, you can find his book there. You can find more articles there. Um, I believe he's on Twitter as the, the anti-Iceman. Uh, is there anywhere else you want people to find you, Gary? I think that the, you know, if you find me on Twitter at the anti-Iceman, my website has all of my articles. By the way, all my articles on my site are all free. Yeah. So you just go and print them. So you go, you go and pull the article on stillness is the enemy or on healed. The healed articles are great articles that talks about musculoskeletal response to uh, tissue loading. And yeah. it's a great, I, it's a, I just love that article because what I did was I wrote in English a complicated article from the medical literature. But okay. then I give you the references to the medical literature. If you want to go read the more complicated version, you can. But yeah. I write it in English so you can read it. And all my stuff is free. The only thing for sale on my website is my book. And my book's only like, what is it? Like $14 or something. Uh, so it's not very fun. expensive, but you don't have to buy my book if you don't want. Listen to my podcast. Listen, read my stuff. There's enough stuff on my website for you to read. Yeah. And then you, you know what's going on. And, and, and I, I try to respond to all questions. So if anybody wants to get a hold of me off my website, just send me an email. And I believe that's how you got to me also, isn't it? Yep. So I, I respond. And yeah, I, very quickly. I may not, I may not have the same day. It just depends. Like last week I was doing the, uh, the winter meetings with major league baseball yeah. and they had us on virtual uh, meeting for eight hours a day, <laughs> three days in a row. So I couldn't really take calls for eight hours a day for three straight days. But yeah. most of the time I'll get back to you within 48 hours. Yeah. And if you have a question or an issue that I can help with, that's what I do. I especially look for coaches hmm. and people that influence a group. Yeah. So why do I still talk to a parent of a high school kid? Well, because of what I told you. Parents talk to parents. Do you want that child that young man or woman to not have a chance at the next level yeah. of collegiate athletics because you mismanaged them. And then remember what I told you about the trainer who for 25 years told me I was wrong because his people got better. And I said to him, spite of your efforts. Yeah. And remember why he can't admit it. He can't admit it because he'd have to say, gee, was it my fault we lost that championship game? Yeah. Did I, did I do things that caused that athlete to never return to play? Did I shorten this guy's career? You see why my critics can't admit it? Yeah. Because they'd have to admit that what they've done in the past had a negative impact on the athletes that they've worked with. So it's okay. By the way, I have lots that have no trouble. If you go on my Twitter feed and go back to December of 19, no, 2016, shows how old I am. I went back to 19 just then. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's the 2016 December, you will see a letter, uh, a certificate from the White House yeah. where the President of the United States personal physical therapist sent me a note thanking me for my help. When I went to him and explained this to him, the, the whole anti-ice racing protocol, yeah. the guy's a lieutenant colonel in the military. 
He's at the White House, for heaven's sake. He's <laughs> the president of the United States personal physical therapist. Yeah. What could I possibly tell him that he didn't know? All of this. Because he had come up, he's a doctor of physical therapy, and he had come up with the RICE protocol and basically never thought about it again, just did it. Yeah. And as he said to me, you're changing the way I'll practice medicine. That's the whole point. See, yeah. people like him had no trouble converting. He just said, oh, I get it. I know something new now. Kelly Starrett, the first time I spoke to Kelly, and anybody doesn't know him, his, his big book is The Supple Leopard. He has a site called The Ready State, but just a good guy. And what Kelly said to me when I was explaining to him the first time, which is about 10 years ago when I met with Kelly, yeah. I had no idea how he was going to respond to me. I knew nothing about him other than he was some guru type guy in the CrossFit world 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, Kelly put his hand up after about 10 minutes and said, stop. And I went, oh, I guess that's it. He goes, I get it. I'll never ice again. Now, can you imagine that? Someone at his level, the accomplishments that he had already done, mm -hmm. His status in that rough and tumble world, he goes, no, no, that's wrong. You're right. I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. So there have been a lot of people at the top level who have shifted and said, okay, I get it. I was wrong. But then there are those that, for whatever reason, don't want to admit that they may have shortened someone's career or caused their team to not win yeah. when if they had properly managed, like the longitudinal quad tear, playing in the world championships in 10 days, running in three days, that trainer quickly adapted. Others can't, but just say if he didn't follow me, and I came along now, and I said, by the way, because you mismanaged that athlete, that's why they didn't play in the world championships later. He could easily say, oh, no, no, it takes four to six weeks. Yeah, if you mismanage it. Yeah. So take that and remember that. And now go help people understand. And if you have a question, contact me. I'll be happy to get back to you. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Gary, for your time and, and for blessing our listeners. If you want to learn more information on the H-Wave that we talked about uh, as well, you can find that on, on his website. There's links to that kind of stuff as well. So um, thanks so much, Gary. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Episode's over. If you found value in this episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. And if you haven't already yet subscribed, do so now so you don't miss any important topics in the coming week. And if you have any questions or suggestions for the show, please send them my way. I am most responsive on Instagram. That's at jcheese, J-A-E, cheese, like the food, or email me directly at jace, J-A-S-E, at scienceofsportsrecovery.com. Talk soon.